Brendan Hausler, welcome to the show. A quick intro on you. You are currently a, a Category 1 cyclist racing for Evoke Bike. Uh, it's your team. Uh, you've been racing since 2009, uh, where you earned, if I'm not mistaken, you earned your Cat 1 license by 2010. Mm -hmm. Okay. And since then, you've won three national Masters titles. Most recently, uh, the 2021 Masters Road Race National Championship that was just this uh, August in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. You run a full-time cycling coaching business and are the president of Evoke Bike, where you also manage their digital content, marketing, and business strategy. And on top of all that, you still have time to ride your bike, which yes. uh, is impressive. So, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, a quick story about you that this is uh, my first Brendan Hausler introduction. The first uh -oh. time I ever saw you race was at the Cookville Crit. And I think it was maybe 2018. It okay. was rainy. Uh, and and I was I was blown away because you lapped the field and then just kind of hung in and then went to win the race. And at that point I'd never seen that done before. <laughs> and I was I was I was taken back. I was like, man, who is this guy? He's a machine. <laughs> and, uh, so that was that was my uh my intro to Brendan Hausler. So oh, man. it's really awesome to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Scott. This is great. So Take me back a while here. How did you how did you find cycling? Did you have an athletic background? And did you had you participated in some sports before? Because that's a pretty it's a meteoric rise going from beginning in two thousand nine and then being a Cat One racer in two thousand ten. Yeah, you know, I wish I had a more of an endurance background. I never played endurance sports. I had almost thought about trying out for track in high school, and. Uh, just never really happened. I played basketball my whole life, you know, pretty like suburban American kid, played baseball, played soccer, played everything, never played football. My parents weren't really into that. <laughs> um, then, you know, you get to middle school, things get a little bit more serious. I was super focused on basketball and kind of on baseball. And then in high school, um, I could dunk pretty early on, uh, actually maybe in eighth grade. And so the volleyball coach saw that happening in the gym and was like, <laughs> hey, man, you should come play volleyball. And I was like, I'm good. I was actually playing soccer then still in middle school, but I was not good at soccer. And so finally some guys were like, you need to come play volleyball with us. And a couple of my buddies from basketball played and, um, yeah, so I played volleyball and basketball. I dropped baseball, just did all vertical jumping sports and, uh, volleyball team. We were, we were a squad. We, um, won a state championship. We were one of the best teams in New York all the time. Uh, it was, it was a family. It was a really amazing experience. And, uh, basketball team was good. We were a little bit more though. Uh, we were not a great basketball team and, um, it just didn't have the same vibe. So definitely left with basketball or with volleyball as like my number one sport. And then I was telling somebody else, you know, it kind of came time for college and I had big academic dreams and uh, I, I didn't love the process of volleyball. Like I was there just for the accolades and to go and get on a D1 team and have that as my job. Um, really Penn State was the biggest one on the East Coast. I'd be going mm. like West Coast most likely. I didn't want to go that far from home. And basketball, I was only going to be a D3 player. There was no D1 anywhere in right. my future. So I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to hang it up a little bit and like just go focus on school and see where this thing takes me. And I don't know if I regret that. I would have loved to have had, 
have had a collegiate athletic experience, but right. I went to Boston college and it was a great time, but kind of the normal college drinking and partying <laughs> and going, going to class. And, you know, I don't know if that was the best use of four years, but you know, <laughs> well, I, uh, I spent six years doing that okay. so, <laughs> to get, well, <laughs> to get, to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> so when I, I actually looked at uh university of Maryland on the way down to North Carolina and we went through the, the walkthrough and mm-hmm. the person giving the tour said that most people graduate in five years there. And my dad leaned over and he goes, Hey man, I'm in this for four. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, <laughs> you're done in four. And I was like, got loud and clear, heard it. So funny. Yeah. So was it, were you exposed to cycling while in college or was that something you found afterwards? No, it's really funny. I was in Chicago. I went to, I was, you know, the normal thing, like I'm working at a hedge fund there in HR. I'm looking for activities in this new bit. I'm living in Chicago, trying to meet some people. And I don't even remember, somebody was like, a guy at work was like, yo, you should get a bike and like go bike on the weekends and like go up the lake and so I went into the bike shop and I'm, I remember buying a $400 Trek. So this is back in 2005. Okay. And I remember being like 400 bucks for a bike. <laughs> like, am I really going to do that? It's <laughs> like, okay, what part of the bike is now 400 bucks? Yeah. You can get some pedals maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. So buy this bike and man, I was, I was digging it. I remember I went on MapQuest and mapped out one of my longest rides was 16 miles. So I did a four okay. mile on a big cube there. And, um, you know, I can't, I ended up moving back to Rochester, New York, where I was from. I kind of wanted to go back home after Chicago and I was planning to move to New York city, but ended up staying in upstate and my bike got stolen out of my garage. I bought a house, bike gets stolen like a month in and I had been mountain biking. Well, mountain biking with a couple guys <laughs> from my high school and they hear the bike gets stolen they're like hey man no offense but like you suck off road but <laughs> you're always like hammering in between the parks that we go to like why don't you get a road bike and i was like a road bike what <laughs> so i buy a road bike and um somebody told me to get a trainer and i thought mm-hmm. i was like a coach and they're like no dude you put a bike on a trainer and go ride in your basement and i was trying to lose weight i was 35 pounds heavier okay and uh you know just being 25, drinking beer, hanging out, you know, and it's suddenly like it's adding up. Right. Um, And then the racing thing, there is a huge community in Rochester, New York. There's about a 250 person club and there is a training race series all summer. Every Tuesday, there's a road race. So like people wonder why I love road racing so much more than like it is. You learn how to road race there. And there's nine courses all on the outskirts of Rochester. So there's west side, east side, south side. And I hated it. I went to one and I was like, this is not for me. Um, just It's intimidating. You know, I showed up yeah. in basketball shorts and didn't know anybody, wasn't used to riding close to people. And long story short, my buddy who dragged me there, a kid from high school, was like, go three more times. Yeah. If you don't like it after that, then forget it. And right. The third time I came in like seventh or something and you get that dope dopamine hit. And I was yeah. like, well, I just did something athletic. Like this is awesome. Right. And just got hooked. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's funny. I've told people uh, that are interested in cycling to, you know, obviously get a bike, but 
come out to the Tuesday night ride and it's the Tuesday night ride around here. It's sort of like an unsanctioned race. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, it, the course varies. There's different routes we'll take, but I tell everyone, you know, the Tuesday night ride will either make you or break you. And it seems like, cause I went my first Tuesday night ride. I went, I got dropped in the neutral zone. It was mm-hmm. 2005. I just bought a new Trek also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought I was in pretty good shape. I'd done some solo rides, showed up at Tuesday night ride and literally got dropped in the, in the neutral. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, this, this is terrible. And, but it was sort of the same thing for me. It was like this challenge. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got to get better and come back and, and not let this happen again. You know, we had a guy there that like shepherded. So it was, there's enough people that, I mean, the first time I showed up, it was, there had to have been hundred people there and okay. it was, Cat fours and fives had a race. Actually, the fours went off and the fives went behind. And a guy, shout out Mike Minerva, he was a cat three, used to be a cat two when he was younger. Mm-hmm. He would ride within the fives and be like, yo, try this. Yo, do this. You're doing yeah. this wrong. Da, 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 da. And um, he was a guy who was like just the, the biggest mentor to me of helping me you know, I, once I started and once I was kind of like, Hey, I kind of like this. And I kept showing up mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, you've come back a few times. You need to buy some bike shorts because these basketball <laughs> shorts ain't cutting it, man. And, uh, like I was, you know, I was an aggressive rider. So I think just my natural, like, I want to go drew him to be like, Hey, maybe I should put some time into this guy. Sure. And he really motivated me to do a real race. Um, you know, he made a comment. He's like, dude, you like, you party. Why don't you stop doing that and see if you could be good at this? Yeah. And um, so he was a huge motivator and he actually ended up, we formed a team together and that's like, I was hooked on that. I love that aspect of like, you know, helping to run a team and it's kind of like a little business and we're getting sponsors and we're, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this whole whole new world. But without Mike, I mean... I remember they put me into the fours pretty quickly and the first four race, I watched everybody ride away from me on like the second lap. And I was like, damn, maybe I'm not supposed to be here, (laughs) but you go back. But Mike was like, nah, dude, you're good. Like just, you know, surges. Now you need to work on this. And now you need. And that's funny. The thing is, is like, I, I look and I, you know, I do a lot of, like I try to help people in forums and stuff and just so many people now want to show up to a bike race and be mm. good. I'm like, yeah. dude, you don't know. Like when there was no, in- there was internet, but we weren't on forums and we weren't doing Strava. And like, you just went and you tried to personally get better. You didn't have everybody online to compare yourself to. There was no mm. Instagram. There was Facebook wasn't what it is now. Like I was looking years down the road to get better. And everyone's like, Hey, I'm in year two. Why am I not upgrading yet? And I'm like, dude, you've done like 15 races. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. So it's a lot of impatience because of the internet, because we, we can read about so much, but we don't mm-hmm. practice it enough. And so that's, that's my one harp on the internet, but it's, I hear uh, you. you know, I hear you on that. That that's being a high school teacher. I've, you know, been approached by some students that are interested in cycling and, and a couple that bought bikes. I went and rode with one guy one time and uh, he had bought a bike and all the gear that he needed. You know, he, he didn't show up in basketball shorts the first time, you know, but he, he didn't stick with it long enough. Uh, he was tall, kind of had long legs, you know, looked like he had a pretty decent chance of being a, a fairly strong road cyclist, but just didn't stick with it long enough. And it, and it could have been that thing where he just wanted results too quick. You know, cycling is one of those things, unlike basketball, basketball, you can go practice a lot and, and get better. You know, it takes time also, but 
you can't just ride more every, I mean, you can ride more, but if you go out and hammer yourself on the bike, it's like, yeah. Well, that's one thing. That was one of your questions. Like what, you know, and we'll get into it later, but yeah, it's yeah. like pe- people ride way too hard. And I mean, I, I remember when I was three years in, I was like, okay, I've been doing this three years. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And then I got to five years like, oh my God, three year training yeah. age me suck. I'm now, I'm still <laughs> getting better. I look back and I laugh at, you know, how I used to train or race or what I thought was good. And we forget that endurance sports are not a huge thing in the U S and yeah. if you look at European and we don't even have to look at pros. Let's look mm-hmm. at European athletes that they are not only are they doing endurance sports way more often their entire life. Let's just say somebody starts when they're 17. Right. By the time they get to 27, they've got 10 years of legit training in. Now, Joey comes at 25 when he's not crushing by year 20, his 28th birthday. He's pissed off. And I'm like, I had a guy actually, and I love this guy. And he was like, I don't understand why I'm not winning races like you. And I said, here's the easiest, here's the easiest example. Go on Strava and look at your total miles. How many miles have you ridden? And he yeah. rode like 18,000 miles. And he goes, oh my God, dude, you've ridden 120,000 miles. Yeah. And I was like, and I've done over 200 races. And like, I've just been out there. Like, right. that's not a brag. That's just, I'm just going and doing, I love doing this. That's yeah. the only reason this stuff is happening. Like, yeah, that's endurance sports. You can't. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. Yeah. And that's and that's why people I have this reputation of like that I hate sweet spot. <laughs> I don't hate sweet spot. I put out videos about like what everyone thinks it's this panacea that's gonna cure everything. Like, hey, you wanna improve your FTP? Hey, you wanna get faster, you wanna increase your glycogen storage, you wanna increase your plasma volume, da, da, da. ride sweet spot and you only have to do it for an hour and a half. It's yeah. like, dude. Oh, that's so wrong <laughs> in so many levels. And I've had I people think- that have come to me and be like, I'm like, so wait, you're telling me that you have three hours to ride, but it, all your rides are only an hour and a half. I'm like, oh, well, that's what the plan says to do. And I'm like, oh my God. So yeah. you could have been riding three hours of endurance. Instead, you're doing, you're sitting on your trainer doing yeah. two, three by 20 a sweet spot. Well, yeah, yeah. it's like, God, dude, this has got to stop. <laughs> I think you and I have had, actually had an email exchange about sweet spot not being a method, but being a tool. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not a way of training. It's just one of the tools in the toolbox. Bingo. It's one portion of a yeah. zone. Yeah. Yeah. No one's doing the VO2 max plan. Nobody's <laughs> doing the FTP plan. Like there's Tough sell. build, but like sweet spot, that sounds pretty good. And the it thing does. is, you know, you go and you do it. I talked to a guy today and he's like, I'm guilty of it. Cause I feel like I worked out and that's the difference. Sure. You can go run around the gym and lift a ton of stuff. Are you, are you lifting the right way? Are you, you know, it'll make you tired. It'll make you feel like you went to step class. It ain't going to make you faster for a bike race. That's for sure. Well, I think I'd say that you hit that uh, on the head too, where you can go out and do an hour, hour and a half sweet spot and you come home, you're tired, you're sweaty. You're like, Oh, that was a good workout. You know, how was your ride? It was great. It's, it's an easier sell. You're right on that. Yeah. Let me ask you, go ahead. Just talking about training. So this whole off the front podcast is aimed at the the masters crowd. And so I was wanting to know, you know, what changes, if any, that a 40 plus cyclist would make and how they train. And then I had this idea of getting more with less, you know, in your experience, what's the most, or what's the most common way that uncoached cyclists are training. And it may just be that what we talked about where they're going out and they're hammering for an hour, hour and a half to come back and they're sweaty, they're tired and they do that every day. Is that what you find? 
So I don't find it every day. And a lot of people that come to me have at least watched mm-hmm. some videos and stuff or so right. be like, okay, I'm, so I'm su- super guilty of this. Or a lot of people follow stuff first, try it and then follow up with me. Like, okay. a lot of people like, Hey, I've been reading your stuff for three or four months that I watch these videos. I've gone less hard. I've done more endurance. This is working. I wouldn't say the, the biggest thing and 40 plus is a huge group, but like, let's say yeah. 40, 40 to 50 still working probably young kids or kids that still need help. You know, they're busy. They, they usually have less hours than the older guys. Right. But yeah, they're, they're going to two or three group rides. They're hammering. Um, and it is literally ride less hard. And then your hard rides will be harder. And it's kind of counterintuitive. Like I want to go hard, so I should ride harder. But when you think about the training, people can look this up. These are physiological principles. If you're hammering and teaching your body to be more anaerobic, mm-hmm. you will have more fatigue and metabolites and you will your glycolytic rate will increase so that you're technically pushing your FTP down. So even though you might hammer mm-hmm. some hard efforts, you're, you're going to create more lactate. And when that gets used and there's hydrogen ions that create the burn in your body, sure. you're really lowering your FTP essentially. And so okay. people don't want to go ride though endurance for an hour and a half like that's not super fun i've always thought i'm super aerobic so i've always had a coach my coach tom now i uh tom bell he's a british mountain biker i reached out to him because i was kind of like i've talked to a lot of people in the u.s scene like kind of been around the block and i was like i need somebody different i need somebody that doesn't really know me i need like just some super fresh eyes on this and you know, as American cyclists, there's the American cyclist stereotype. Like we mm-hmm. ham, we hammer. I think I'm a very aerobic dude, and Tom is still <laughs> like, dude, you still ride too hard. Really? And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, I would love your endurance rides to be easier. And I'm like, bro, huh. I am going to eat. Like he would die with some of these people that I coach. But <laughs> and then to get back to it, though, the 50 plus, the biggest thing is now their job might be less demanding or their kids are in college. They have more time. These are a lot of these guys can Mm -hmm. do 15 to 20 hours of training, which is massive, but now their buddies are doing the same thing. And so they're riding super early in the morning and they're hammering again. Like I got to go hard. I got, I'm like, what are you guys trying to prove to each other on Tuesday morning at six? (laughs) Like you guys flex so hard. And when you say less with more, Uh there's a guy in Texas that also because of just where he rides, it's like very un, very interrupted rides with like stoplights. And yeah. I was, I'm, my biggest thing is, dude, let's go easier. Let's mm-hmm. pull it back. Less sprinting. When you go, when the light turns green, you don't have to gas it. You're not, you're not beating a car. And he made the comment to me that he's like, dude, it's kind of crazy. Like I feel stronger in my group. Like something's working, and I really don't know what it is. I'm like, it's going less hard in training. It's be, yeah. doing easier rides. Like do a real recovery ride, do a real endurance ride. And, you know, you can listen to guys like, you know, I've said this on a couple different podcasts, like Jim Miller, who runs USA Cycling, the performance mm-hmm. training, Trevor uh, Connor on Fast Labs. They have both on podcasts talked about, you know, it's really hard to make someone faster in a year. Everyone wants like right. results like that. I don't necessarily agree with that. But Trevor says, you know, a lot of it is, reforming habits and re-helping people learn how to properly ride, which I don't want to, I'm not trying to tell a cyclist, like you don't know how to train, but there's just, there's an opportunity cost to every session that you do. You you can't do everything and you can optimize these rides so much more 
than what people are doing. So if you only have yeah. 12 hours, let's make sure you're using it the best 12. Like, sure, you could go ride Sweet Spot, but that 90 minutes, we could do something so much more productive. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is doing less and, and masters riders just focusing. Like, I, I get the group ride. It's fun. It's social. I want you to be having fun on the bike. But if you really want to get better, go every other week. Go once right. a week. Be a little bit more selective. Like, work on you. Give yourself a little bit of you time in the training rather than just having to, like, I got to show these guys what's up on Thursday night. Like, yeah. well, do you, do you want to win in three weeks? That was your big I thought that was your big goal because it kind of sounds like Thursday night's your big goal. Yeah. And if that is, that's cool. That's cool. But like, let's train for Thursday night then. Right. I know what you mean. And that's, I've, I've had a lot of friends that I'll send them a text. How, how'd the ride go today? And they will say, oh, that was supposed to be an easy ride. It ended up being like, you know, I had a TSS of like 200. It was, it was, it was a disaster, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's because there was more than one on that ride. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is what I think I'm guilty of is that if I have, so I work, you know, I get home three 30, get on the bike at four, four 30, something like that. I may have an hour and a half to ride. And I wonder, I think my perception is that an hour and a half of endurance is not as good as an hour and a half of tempo or something like that. And is it true, or this could be totally off, which would be a good time to set it straight too. If it is that a zone two ride needs to be, three hours or, you know, two or three hours to be effective. Is it as effective if you go out and do an hour and a half of zone two? So it's effective, but let's mm -hmm. more is better. Yeah. I mean, there's no, and that's what one of the problems with uh, like, Hey, let's go bake this cake. It, well, it says three hours. We got an hour and a half. Let's just crank this puppy up. Right. Cut the time. Once you, start, once you start going in tempo and I'm going to like, everyone is going to be a little bit different. People are like, no, sure. this is a 83%. Once you start going in tempo, you start tapping into your glycolytic system. So you're using carbs for mm -hmm. fuel in, instead of fat. So you're kind of okay. no longer going after, you know, becoming a more economical rider, having those reserves for later in a race. If you have a three-hour race, I mean, if you are trained more aerobically, you're going to have bigger, harder efforts at the end, which is what you need to win a bike race or what you need to win to win the group ride. So you have an hour and a half, you know, I don't think we can e easily say in a broad brushstroke that every ride needs to be endurance or that, I mean, there's a place for tempo. There's sure. a place for low threshold, but every ride should not be, I feel like I worked really hard today. And those rides, sweet spot, if you're riding at 95% of FTP for 45 minutes, that's not easy. That's right. a, like, you kind of lit a match with that. Right. I would rather have you like that at like a five by five VO two max set. That's going to be way more beneficial to actually work on your VO two max system. When you're riding the sweet spot, all you're doing is tolerating lactate. Like, yeah, you're clearing okay. some, there's some shuttling going on, but like, again, opportunity cost. If we're going to work on shuttling, sweet spots, not the way to do it in over under is go over FTP, create a lot of lactate. And then this paper say, and again, every human is going to be different. We clear it the most efficiently at 70 to 90% FTP. So pick somewhere in there and go under and go over, under, over, under. Mm -hmm. That has been a game changer in my training. Like I've never done those until last year. And one of the biggest things was that I was having trouble with is like in these big gravel races when I'm racing dudes that are just better than me, I don't get dropped on like the sharp punch. I'm good with that. It's when 
it's tapping a little bit over we're surging we're going we're going and it's been like a half an hour and i'm like shoot the wheels are starting to fall off i just can't clear that lactate enough over unders that's like and plus the the benefit and i'll kind of go off on like a little like preach on these things when you're doing that and you're starting with like a hard start, there's different variations, you know, could start with like three minutes at 120% or 115%, whatever to like get you going, really get the, um, your rope cardiac system, like really pumping. You're really mm-hmm. not, you know, hitting VO2 max at least to like 30 seconds in. Once you start doing that, there's a really good article. If you Google the VO2 max slow component, and I have to look okay. this up again because it's either, a, I think this guy might be a running coach. He posts this article giving a warning that, hey, you can be training at a higher training zone than you might expect when you're going relatively hard because of this phenomenon of the VO2 max slow component. You're not training at VO2 max power, but you're actually training that system. So his warning is you might be training too hard. On the flip side, the good side of that is you can be doing these over-unders, not really hammering a five-by-five you're getting time at like 85% VO2 max for people that use WKO, or you could look at like 90% heart rate. It's going to be up there. And when you do that for 12, 15, 18 minutes rest and do it a few times, that's a hell of a workout. So not only are you working on clearing lactate to help your FTP, you're helping your VO2 max without going super freaking deep. And I don't think it's a replacement for going super deep in training, but that is so much better than riding at 95%. And and there's, you know, we did a podcast with like Jens Reinders, uh, a guy who's going to be like the next Belgian pro. I've done this myself. I bought, I was like, people were doing, this is back in 2017. Gravel was coming, getting big. And people are talking about it's going to be long sustained power, which is 100% not what gravel is. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to roll 380 for just hours. And I was doing long sweet spot, dude. I was doing megawatts for a really long time and it was the worst spring of racing i ever had oh my god dude and yen said the same exact thing he goes my three hour power through the roof couldn't do anything in races really totally dulled myself had no vo2 max no overdrive it was i was like freaked out for about a month i was like what did i just do to myself (laughs) and i looked back and i was like that was the dumbest thing ever and it's literally what thousands of people do and that's right I mean, I've seen it happen to athletes. I've seen it happen to myself. Mm-hmm. Overprescription of sweet spot is a horrible thing. And I'm going to put out a video soon of the two groups of people that I think would benefit from it. Um, I, I'm going to leave people with that spoiler. But it there's a place for it, but it's not a training mantra. It's yeah. like one work. It's like two workouts, three workouts to get you ready for a very specific type of race. And if anybody is watching this, they can email me what type of race. I'll send you some lack to go if you can guess who those two athletes are. <laughs> well, that the next thing I was wondering about was if there's any certain workouts that a master's athlete or any zones that they would want to avoid or want to target. It sounds like all zones and all workouts are probably fair game at the right time, but is it that maybe they want to avoid that sweet spot as much as possible, either stay a little on the easy side or either go hard? What would you say for a master's? Like what is, what are they trying to avoid or target? Yeah. And let me make, and actually my last comment that I was going to make too about the previous sure. question too, like when you ask that question of like, should I be only riding? What am I doing with this hour and a half? We really have to know like, what are your goals? What are your races? What are your events? If you're like, Hey, I'm going to go do this five hour grand Fondo. I'm going to be like, okay, so when are the five hour rides? 
when's the three hour ride? And so some athletes, that's a very common thing. Now people are like, well, I'm going to ride the trainer for an hour and a half. Oh, I got this grand final. It might take us like seven hours. I'm like, dude, you're going <laughs> to have a horrible day. That's, yeah. And so like communication of expectations is sure. massive. And so uh, to answer your other question, I think the really interesting thing of, um, I think it's when you're, once you start, I can't remember if it's 40 or 35, your VO2 max is supposed to decline at some point. I think it's like 5%, they say. Okay. So a guy put this in a really good way. If your VO2 max stays the same, like if you can keep it the same, mm-hmm. you're actually increasing it because your sure, body yeah. is trying to lose it. VO2 max, older athletes need to do that for sure. You don't need to do it all season long, but before race season starts, do a couple sessions excuse me, and then definitely keep that in your training diet because that is going to want to naturally disappear. Um, and, you know, as athletes get older, um, there are a lot of diesels. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. not – there seems like there's less and less sprinters the older people get. Um, you know, so you kind of already have that diesel power. And so having that overdrive is going to be something that when you're racing against your peers, a lot of guys just aren't going to have that. Like that's – there was a guy who told me when I was younger, he goes, we were in a break and this is GVCC. This is, this was amazing. Like, you want to know how to beat me? And this guy could just like motor throttle. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I do want to beat you. He goes, <laughs> change up the pace. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, slow down and attack me and do it a couple times. Like, I'm not going to be able to keep up. And I was really? like, what? He's like, old dudes, man, we don't have that snap. And so yeah. that's how you beat a strong masters guy. Change the pace. They can't huh. keep up with that. And so if you are a master's rider and you work on that, guess what? You're going to beat a lot of people your age. That's good information to have. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's funny you said that a lot of the master's guys, and I remember coming up as a new cyclist, showing up at Tuesday night, you know, you'd have these guys showing up, and it was always like, oh, that guy's a diesel. And and they were. They could keep that pace all night until the pace changed and then they were gone is that because of their age that VO two max is coming down or is it because maybe a mixture of both? Is it because they don't do VO two max anymore because it's painful and they don't want to do that? It hurts. It's training, man. It's like these guys just go out and and ride with their buddies and they do, you know, I've been in a city where the group ride is literally nine 30 second efforts. It is the worst training. Like it is garbage. (laughs) And people are, that's what they do Tuesday, Thursday, this is my training. I'm like, good luck. That's why you haven't gotten faster in the past 20 years. You're doing the same thing. And I'm not trying to knock people, but it's like doing the same thing and expecting a different result every season is not the wisest thing to do. So yeah, um, diesels, people, and when you, even athletes that do these long, 200 mile, 300 mm-hmm. mile rides. They want to be going hard. Like you want to have your anaerobic fibers responding and you want to maintain that because when you, if you don't do that and you only ride sub threshold, when you do go hard, you might have those Watts, but it is going to be so much more fatiguing to your body because yeah. you're never maintaining that use it or lose it. And when you don't, you don't have to go crazy with it. I mean, Masters Nationals, I won the sprint. I do like eight-second sprints and like four of them. Okay. My watts are just as good as when I was incorrectly training and doing way more sprinting and way more crits. Okay. Um, It's an aerobic sport. Do aerobic training. And that's why, you know, to your first question, the more hours that you can do, the better, but do them easy and do them at endurance pace. 
Um, and if you don't have that time, you still need to figure out how to train aerobically mm-hmm. and sweet spots, not really aerobic. And someone's gonna be like, well, wait, there's that chart. And I don't want to call, I like fast cat and I like Frank Overton, Yeah, but that chart is made up and it even says arbitrary <laughs> units on the side. And when you look at it, if you look at the curve of stimulus, it says yeah. basically what the chart says is zone two and zone six training would be the same. Okay. Which we all know is obviously not correct. So like magically the sweet spots right here at 93%. And here's the cart to buy your plan. And we'll we'll talk to you guys, you know, and I love Frank. (laughs) He's a great dude. It's marketing though. And maybe he believes that that's the science, but I don't, I don't believe that anymore. And I've just seen it not work for a lot of people. So. Well, and it may be, it may be one of those things where, you know, it's kind of the, the CrossFit effect where you can take a person that has never trained with a coach or in the, in the case of CrossFit people that are coming off the couch and they can go do a bunch of CrossFit workouts and 100%. they see, they see like tremendous gain, Newbie you know, this linear, yeah, this linear curve that's going straight up. And that may be what sweet spot, like maybe Frank's able to market that to some people that have not trained with a coach and it's effective to a certain point. Totally. And, and then, and that's the thing, but the problem is he's just such a respected guy that people that are more trained Mm-hmm. believe that that's going to make them a bike racer. And so we've had very Frank, Frank's been on my podcast. There's been like, I've had very civil comments on posts and we both follow each other. Yeah. And I'd even, cause somebody said, um, somebody brought up, somebody like tagged both of us. Or I can't remember how it came up. <laughs> they were like, Hey, well he has a sweet spot plan. And he was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. We have like eight weeks of sweet spot, not 16. Cause I think I can't remember how this came up, but you know, it's not like the guy, he has a plan, but he's not the worst promoter of it. And so I just want people to think about their training. I'm not trying to yeah. bash anybody's training. Like there's a million ways to do this thing. And I don't have all the answers. I'm definitely not claiming that. But just when it's sold to people as like, all you need to do is this and do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And then they go to a race and they get dropped. And they're like, what's going on? I just, I, I'm working hard. And like, look at my Look at my 90-minute power. I'm like, dude, when are you going to do 90-minute power in a bike race? Yeah, this is America. Good point. You know? That's it's, true. And that was the thing with gravel. Everyone said, look at a, if you are actually racing a gravel race and you are trying to win, <laughs> that starts off much harder than sweet spot. And you will get jettisoned quickly if you are just <laughs> training for long, sustained power. I promise you. It's happened to me. I'm not like... Speaking from huh. experience. <laughs> well, I admit that, and that's, and I totally get, and what you said about VO2 max, you know, keeping that as something that's at the front of your mind as a master's athlete, I think that's, that's super valuable to me because yeah. I admit that I think the last time I purposefully did a VO2 max effort was when you told me to over a year ago. I mean, I'm sure I've done VO2 max since then, but it wasn't a planned effort. Mm-hmm. And so I'm definitely guilty of, slipping into the typical master's training style of going out and, Hey, I got an hour and a half today. I'm going to go out and be a diesel for an hour and a half, you know, and I need to think about that and make some changes and add some VO2 max stuff back into my training. Add that in. And you know, it's not, I don't want somebody to hear this and be like, all I got to do is VO2 max. Now. Right. Yeah. But you know, I don't think that we want everything right now. And if we would just all take 20 minutes and say, who am I trying to become as a bike racer? Yeah. And you might not be trying to, and you might be like, I'm not a bike racer. I just want to do this grand fondo. Cool. Figure out what are you trying to do? How is that? Who is successful at that type of event? What type of riding do you need to do to get there? Like this stuff isn't 
rocket science, but it does require some planning. And, you know, I have athletes that I'll start reaching out to certain people, especially if they live in the South in like soon. I've actually been Mm -hmm. sending a couple emails like, Hey, let's start thinking about next year. Because if somebody turns around and is like, Oh, by the way, I'm going to do these races in February. You don't want to hear that in January. (laughs) Like (laughs) there needs to be eight weeks of downtime. So like go back to base, get in the gym, then start building up aerobically. And and that's a mistake that people make is they're like, well, I don't want to lose my gains from this year to next year. Your watts should go down. You should right. drop your FTP a little bit, most likely. You know, you're gonna be and, and then there's a lot of weather considerations to have over the win- over some people have winter, other people don't. Some people are crazy and will ride in 30 degree weather. Other people are like, I've got 60 and 90 minutes on Zwift. What are we doing? Right. So uh yeah, it's you need that downtime, and that's yeah. We can talk about that for a long time. Well, and actually it's a perfect segue into the next thing I was going to ask you is about, about strength training. And so, you know, how to maybe, maybe to utilize your downtime. And so I want to ask about strength training as it applies specifically to the master's athlete. I think we talked before about year round strength training. Mm -hmm. Are you still a proponent of the, of, you know, doing something through the season? I know it's obviously Mm -hmm. backed off and you're not doing the off season Mm -hmm. strength training, but uh, let's talk about that how important that is to your, you know, to your training. I know for me personally, I've been really consistent uh, over the past year and a half with strength. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's paid huge dividends for me. I think Mm -hmm. I've, I'm a better cyclist. You may be able to look at my numbers and tell me I'm wrong, but like, I feel like a stronger cyclist than I've ever been. (laughs) And I I feel like after this conversation, I feel you've got really good sweet spot numbers for yourself (laughs) and me. I'm sure you're right. (laughs) So this is an awesome question, and I think that it's something that you know the cycling community is still learning a lot about because it is. It sounds like a cop out; it's so individualized. But I think one thing that we don't talk about much is weightlifting is a sport of its own. So number mm-hmm. one, has this person ever lifted before? Right. I've got a guy. I've got a few guys that are like previous power lifters. I have zero worry about what they do in the gym because they know what lifting too much feels like. Me personally, I had one of my best winters in the gym until I went to ham with it. And I was doing 20 to 25 hours of lifting and riding. And eventually I just crumbled. And it was like, oh, oh, hey, like newbie, (laughs) you've only been doing this for three years. You shouldn't have been going three times a week for that long. Like I just, and I got really, to be honest with you, I got super pumped about how strong I was getting. And like the gym gains were super fun. And I just had a really good routine going. And then it just was like, I had a problem with my QL and I kind of ignored it and it mm-hmm. went into my hip flexor and it was just like, ended up being this big mess. So what I think is, and, and the other thing is too, so we're actually working on, we have Patrick put together some good strength articles um, and I'm coming back and kind of circling with a more high level one and we're putting together kind of a a guy, I want, I want to say more of a guide rather than a program because mm-hmm. an athlete really, you know, if you want to get serious with strength, get a strength coach. Um, right. But if you want some pointers, like there's Wendler 531, there's GZCLP, there are some formats that you can follow. But even those, you know, I was talking with a guy who was a power lifter and he's like, hey, I've noticed, you know, some of these things have you start at 85% of your one rep max. That's too high. Like you mm-hmm. want to be starting at 70. So every, 
Even programs you get offline that are going to be like your weightlifting program. If you don't have a coach, it's the same thing as getting a template for cycling. Yeah. You know? So it's finding someone that can find something that works for you without getting super verbose and talking about this for half an hour. I think that, you know, you're going through adaptation body weight only for like four weeks. It depends on how many sessions you're doing a week, but I usually start doing the gym Depends if I'm in somewhere where it's really cold or if it's warm, but two to three times a week and maybe riding on a short ride on the same day, but just doing body weight and doing, you know, 45 minutes just Mm -hmm. because you're going to be super sore. Once I start adding weight and going, I tend to stick with three times a week. And then once it hits like January, I'll do two times a week. And that's when next year, I think I will go to one time a week because I think it's just too much for the body if you're really lifting hard. Um, Even for a master's athlete, you can – and they say that you can keep strength gains if you lift once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So if you're lifting every week, that's more than enough. And I would just say to err on the side of less is more. I was forgetting that the lifting is to supplement the cycling. You know, there is – Huge benefit for your time to exhaustion, to improve your cycling economy, your fatigue resistance. On the power side, your PMAX, your ability to do like a super deep two-minute effort. Like there Mm -hmm. are benefits to lifting, but you don't need to become a power lifter. And um, that was the mistake that I had. I just got too into it and uh, paid the price. So, and then I think when it gets to... And then this is the other question you have to ask, is the athlete looking to do like a series or do well in all these races over Mm -hmm. a long season? Or do they have a like a really like a competition phase, some people call it, where it's like maybe six to eight weeks. If you have more of this tight, like it's this small period of like your big races, I would probably cut the lifting out right before that. Okay. Um, you could get injured in the gym. We're not pro lifters. We're, you know, we're not cat one. Most of us aren't. That goes back to the first question. How good is this person at lifting? Like technique. What if you're don't lift tired, you know, people want to ride and then lift. I think that's a mistake because you're going to, that's when you're going to injure yourself. So it's, you know, I don't, I hate giving like a cop out answer, but just, this is such a huge topic that depends on where the athletes been, Mm -hmm. where they're going. But there's no doubt benefit to lifting. You just got to find out how to do it safely and so that it doesn't take away from your rides. And the thing, too, people back away from lifting because they do get sore for the first month sometimes. Um, And that's a turnoff. But to me, that's like, oh, my God, I'm getting sore from bodyweight squats. Like, that's sad. I need to do this. I think my... November, October, November, that's December time frame, I was lifting twice a week. And then I, I went to once a week, probably January, what, kind of what you were saying. And mm-hmm. I've been consistent with lifting once a week through this whole summer and spring. And actually, I've, I've followed the, that Windler 531 program because it's a very sustainable increase in weight. You know, he backs you off more than most lifters want to at first to a percentage that's actually fairly light. Um, or it's fairly light of what, uh, what they think they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of, a lot of guys are like, well, I used to lift, I used to squat 350, but it's like, all right, what do you do today? And let's go at yeah. 80, 80% of that. <clears throat> and it's, and, and what I would do is I would follow the, his progression. And when it got heavy, like real heavy, when I was like, uh, I feel like this is 
probably pushing it. I just kind of backed off a few cycles and I would try to I'd bring the weights back down and it's worked pretty well. Yeah. So there's a guy that, uh, this guy I was talking to who was the power lifter, he actually made the comment about the Wendler, how good it was with the lower percentages. And I'm going to look into this because he, when he first, he was, you know, you know, doing competitions, big into it, like we're into cycling. Mm-hmm. And as he was getting into that community and got, he started making friends, the guy was like, Hey man, can I like make a tip or like make a comment on your lifting? He's like, yeah, he's like, you're lifting way too hard. And he's like, what do you huh. mean? He's like, dude, you're like maxing out all that. Like I'm watching you and I've, you've been here for a while. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's the program? And he really, the simplest way he put it is there's just oftentimes when we get into lifting, we don't leave enough room to grow and we mm-hmm. very quickly hit the ceiling and then we don't back it off. And we like, fiddle with reps and we make up different schema and like he's like yeah. just less weight is actually the way to do it so i'm gonna look into that it sounds cool and um I, I've, li- yeah. I've liked it i used it when i was uh i was a strength coach for the football team at our mm-hmm. high school for a while and it was effective with them it's it's kind of a real simple program common sense and and half of his book is about convincing a meathead to, to back off on the weight, you know, because it's, it's seriously, that's what I, I spent most of the time as a strength coach with my players, like saying, Hey guys, uh, let's back off a lot of this weight, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't take crushing yourself under the bar every day to get stronger. I guess a similar principle as to cycling. Yeah, dude. And it's like, I'm look, I'm thinking back to some of these lifts I was doing where I was even like going up to the bar. I'm like, God, this is a lot of weight. And <laughs> I do it. But I was like, and there were days where I was lifting early. It would be like, you know, I might be lifting at 6 a.m. and it would be 11 a.m. And it was like somebody took a pillow and just went, <laughs> and I would be like, whoa, I'm really tired and like would like could not stay up. Yeah. It's just neuromuscularly shredded. And, you know, I would love to know what was going on in the body at that point in time, but it was probably too much weight. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, but you, you got to do it for the gram, you know, it's like you're going to post a picture of yourself in the gym, you got to throw in. You better load the bar up. Load the bar up, baby. If you don't, if you don't have four wheels on each side, then what are you doing? So, uh. (laughs) damn four. I was talking to this guy. I was like, okay. So I was like, I was pretty stoked about three fifteen. I realized that's not much. He's like, no, that's. He's like on a straight bar, right? I was like, no trap bar. He's like, yeah, it's still pretty good. (laughs) It's like, uh. you know what? I, I I went like total old man, and I bought a I bought a belt squat, and and I think I mentioned this to you a while back, like. It is a, it's a machine that Louis Simmons of Westside Barbell developed back in the seventies. I think it was his strength system is called the conjugate method. And so he, he trains all the parts to a big lift to make your big lift stronger. And the belt squat is a machine. It's got a trolley with weight. A cable goes underneath the platform and it hooks to your, to a belt at your hips. And so you Mm -hmm. can squat really heavy without loading your back at all. And so you kind of have to compensate for the core work that you're take that you're removing from not having sure. a bar on your shoulders. But it's sort of that thing for me. It's actually why I've been able to be so consistent because I always, as the weight got heavier, my legs could lift it. But I was like, man, I'm gonna kill mm-hmm. my lower back and then be off the bike completely. And so mm-hmm. I do some uh, some core work, and I've got a reverse hyper that's for like low back and and uh, a gym. I've been building the gym here at home forever, just trying to. That's not, something not I will forget ne- about. That's something I'll never do, just because I like being nomadic, and the gym is like the thing that really holds you down. It's like, oh wow, there's three thousand pounds of equipment here. I guess I'm not moving for the next fifteen years. <laughs> no, you're right. I think with 
cycling and lifting related variety variety mm -hmm. is key one thing that you know race specific intervals are super important and people get too specific and they yeah. you know hey i've got this 20 minute time trial so i'm just gonna do 20 minute efforts for the next six weeks i wouldn't do that i would do 10 to 30 minute efforts and work the system we are really good at adapting to a stimulus and like just dulling ourselves. It's just yeah. like the human condition. And that's what, not to go back to this, but that's what sweet spot is. It's like you just, your body gets used to it and you're not changing anything. You're just kind of riding hard. And then you have to go really hard. And it's like, I can't do that. So with the gym, I think variety is key. Like do that belt thing and then do mm -hmm. like a little bit of this and then do some of that. And that's might not be the proper way to get huge, but we don't want to get huge. We want to get strong. Right. I want to be a strong overall person. So that's our thing of like uh, GZCLP just tiered lifting and has, you know, first, second, third tier and then tertiary lifts. And so cycling in different things every time. I really like that aspect. But yeah, you know, it's plus when you're a cyclist and you go ride for four or five, six hours and then you go to the gym and it's like, wait, this is 45 minutes. Like, did I did I do it? Did I do that? Did I do that thing right? Like, maybe I should lift some more. Yeah, that's funny. Well, you're right about the variety. I started, I added a rower into my routine, mm. just doing some of that. That's been great for core. I was surprised by how much core that involved or was involved in the rowing, mm -hmm. uh, but it's done a lot for me too. So I definitely agree with just throwing some variety in. Definitely. Hey, so tell me what, uh, as far as coaching, how does the 40, 40 year old and above athlete or really any athlete, to be honest, uh, benefit from coaching even if they're not planning on racing, do you coach? I'm sure you would, but do you coach any athletes that are not road racing totally. or people that are just like, so I'm not huge on, I'd like them to have some type of event, whether it's a great yeah. Some people are just like, I just want to get faster. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, mm -hmm. like, are we just going after metrics? Do we just want this like crazy two hour power? The reason that is actually really hard. I learned this because a guy really wanted, I want to ride X watts for two hours, da, da, da. When you accomplish that, you are in the middle of nowhere by yourself, <laughs> pat yourself on the back. And it's like, okay, what's next? Like there is no parade. There's no celebration. It's like, I love training. I, I think, I think I could legitimately say I love training almost as much as most people. And there still has to be something that I'm going for. And yeah. it doesn't have to be even near. I mean, when COVID happened, I knew how racing was going to come back at some point. I, I, so I do want to get better. So I know what kind of races I'm going to do. So I'm still going to try and like build my FTP, okay. do some VO2 max stuff. Like, so if, as long as somebody has something, like I'll, I coach people that are going to do their first Grand Fondo all the way to the person who wants to win a national championship. So the benefit of having a coach is a lot of times helping you to know what not to do. Like, right. don't don't have to train that hard all the time. Everybody thinks it needs to be like a banger session. Um, one thing with Evoke is big is that we just have, we really wanted to build a community. So like we have a WhatsApp group where we started on a whim being like, I wonder if people are going to like this. Let's just test it out. Mm -hmm. There's over a hundred Evoke athletes. I would say only half are active. I think there's like 80 people maybe in the chat, but everyone's not into it. But there's 50 people where like, Everything from tire size, choice, tech stuff that people love to geek out on, which is not my strong suit, so I stay out of those conversations, to like an article somebody saw, to a training idea, to da 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 And so 
I think that's a huge piece that's missing from a lot of coaching is just being able to talk to other athletes, being able to talk like we're talking now. And that's, you know, why we kind of post some of these coaches calls and do like little open forums. Just we're most, I, I coach mostly older athletes. Okay. Um, some people later twenties, not many juniors. And, uh, you know, I just relate to people closer. I'm almost 40. So we kind of have more stuff in common outside of just cycling, but a lot of us, don't have a partner in life that mm. wants to hear about the KOM or the training <laughs> or the whatever. So like having that person that you're talking to, that dialogue, that's super important. That's one thing that I'm like, you know, I come home and Chris is like, did you get a KOM? I'm like, okay, I got to talk to Tom about like this. Da, da, da. Like he's that's not going to know what's going on. So I think that's a super, uh, a really beneficial piece of coaching. It should be, I said this on another podcast, if you're paying for a coach mm -hmm. and you think the number one thing that you get is the training plan, you might want to look elsewhere. Like, I just don't think you're, you, you could think about that. We're, we put out blogs of how to build a training calendar to help people that can't afford coaching. Like I want people to feel, if you go to an event and you feel confident about what you've done, you're going to perform way better than if you're really nervous those weeks leading up wondering, did I do the right stuff? Like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So, um, yeah, I just think there's a lot more to it than just putting the workouts in the right spot. That's definitely a piece to it, but there, you could get a lot more as an athlete out of it. Well, I know that when we talked before, uh, you started coaching me for a little bit. One of my biggest things that I talked to you about was just that mm -hmm. lack of communication and relationship with the coach. And, and that was something that I was really wanting. So I will say this, if you are paying for coaching mm -hmm. and no one ever comments in training peaks, I, I can't, okay. If it's a recovery ride, I might not comment, but I actually, I'm more likely to comment in a recovery ride. Kudos for going easy <laughs> An endurance ride. People are like, no, I'm pretty strict. Uh, and I'll, the, I don't want to say I'm strict, but if someone's like goes on there going sprinting, I just I just type like, "What are you doing? This is not like I must must have been a group ride. Like, yeah. cool, totally fine. You are the boss. This is your riding, but like, this is I just want to let you know I see you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny um, because they come to me saying I want to get faster, so I'm going to hold up my bargain and tell you that's not helping you get faster. Sure, but you know, there's since we do these free power file analysis for people mm -hmm. now that there's four other coaches, God, we had to have done over 400 i'd say a lot of people i'll ask people I'm like hey when do you communicate because i don't see any comments in your train like i don't really hear from this person i'm yeah. like so you don't have to go with us but you should probably change it up because <laughs> you're doing it's, the same thing you know it's just and that gives coaching such a bad name it's really uh it's so disappointing communication is the biggest thing and that's when there's so much we all want these metrics to tell mm -hmm. us everything so much about how the training is going is, Hey man, how are you feeling? What do you feel like when you ride, you know, what's missing, dude, I have no overdrive. Hey, I'm getting crushed in a sprint. And I know that this race in three months, it's going to end in a sprint mm -hmm. or, I mean, that's, you don't know it's going to end in a sprint, but just a random example. But like we kind of, as athletes know what's missing. If you really start asking yourself, like, what do I need to work on? And then we figure out, okay, well, is that opportunity cost? What are we working on? That's going to put you in the best seat for these upcoming events. That's why planning is really important. Some people don't plan. They're like, Oh, I think I'm going to go to this race in two weeks. And then they don't know what's next. You really want to try and sort that out a little bit. Um, so there's just, 
it just takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort. And, you you know, I think people would be really surprised what they could accomplish. And they don't, even if you want to be self-coach, but like coach mm-hmm. yourself then. Yeah. actually, And that's the hardest part is seeing the big picture. I mean, I think I'll always have a coach because uh, mostly to tell me when I, you know, there was actually, so I just moved here to Blowing Rock. There's a group ride on Tuesday nights. Really kind of wanted to go do it. And I was like, hey, man, but there are some races I want to do well the rest of the year. I'm like, hey, group ride on Tuesday. I'm not super fresh. Probably a bad idea. And he's like, if I'm honest, bad idea. I'm like, great. That's what I need to hear. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, so yeah, the communication piece. There's something else I wanted to add and I can't remember, but. You'd said something too that made me think, you know, when I was training with a coach where the communication was lacking, I was more into the metrics. I wanted to see what the numbers were and I was always trying to dig in and find out because I wasn't getting that. And mm-hmm. when I was working with you, I never really, I didn't look at the numbers as much because I knew that we were going to talk about that and you would let me know. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. that more. I, I always really liked that communication element of the coaching relationship. And I think anybody can benefit from that. It, like you said, it's fun to have someone to talk to about cycling. And-, and you want somebody to help you look down the road mm-hmm. of where, I always say, where's the ship going? Like where, what are we doing and why to get you to that place that you want to be at? And the metrics are important, but WKO is a tool. Mm-hmm. And I will be, I am, in, you know, I always say we're not for the people. We are the people. Like I'm an <laughs> athlete just like everybody. I think that's why we resonate with people is because like we're out here trying to get better too. I'm not just behind the computer like sending out workouts. Right. You know, my MFT, MFP, <laughs> MFTP, the FTP that the algorithm calculates you know, if you don't feed it in like a 20 minute test, 30 minute test, like it might go down at some point. And so I was laughing with my coach Tom. I'm like, okay, dude, we got a MFTP went down. We got to fix that. And he was like, <laughs> Oh, I was like, wait, you're joking. Right. I'm like, well, kind of, but opportunity cost. I'm not going to go waste a training session to let the computer program tell me what I know my FTP is. And even I did it with Craig, the, uh, one of our coaches, he was like, dude, this just dropped 20, 20 points because he was doing more aerobic work. You know, wasn't, he yeah. wasn't trying to focus on a FTP number. And that's a mistake that I made and that I see other people make that get into WKO mm-hmm. because then they are riding for the numbers. They are riding so that the numbers tell them that they're fast. When you can have the numbers tell you that you're getting faster and you're getting tired, or you can yeah. have the numbers tell you that it's not perfect. And it is we give it too much credence yeah. and a lot it's model. It's, it's not even like we're, it's not exact precise. And everyone's like, WKO is the best thing ever. It is an amazing <laughs> tool. It is not the end all be all. And yeah. I mean, they have their own philosophies. There's no look at optimized intervals. Optimized intervals are our steady state intervals. That is not like bike racing. And to me, honestly, the recommendate. Yeah. I don't want to, I have to be careful what I say because I don't want to come across <laughs> as someone who's like, this is wrong or this is bad. But we get this information sent to us and then we're like, this is it. Yeah. This is, and that's why I said I actually made a post of like, um, I really like the trainer road guys. I love their form. But mm-hmm. there, was a, uh, there was a point where it was like sweet spot camp versus the polarized camp. And people were like, going, no, this is this, this is this. <laughs> And I was like, yo, dude, why don't we take a little bit from both? Because guess what? There's good things to both of them yeah. and there's bad things to both of them. And just like you said, Scott, it's 
there's zones. Like yeah. people really like territorial about their zone that they're following. It's like, dude, just get fast. Like, and you're right too, the, that people chase those numbers. And even those who are not into WKO5 are, but are into training peaks are probably guilty of chasing that CTL. You know, mm-hmm. it, I think, I think it was the most recent show of fast talk where, you know, Trevor Connor was talking about the trap that people fall into that, or, or actually they, they try to drive that CTL up higher, but actually some of his athletes were showing that, you know, they were having their best results and best rides when their CTL was lower than they thought it should be. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, like you're talking about that MFTP where it's not the end all be all, you know, and neither are the other metrics that are on training peaks. It's, um, you know, that was actually one of the first blogs that I had posted about just like what I thought was a unique piece of like, you know, how obsessing over your CTL can ruin your race season because I, and it started because a guy in the hospital back, I was selling medical devices at the time. And he was like, I have this race in two weeks and my, or a race in a week, my CTL is dropping. I'm losing all my fitness. And I was like, dude, you have a race in a week. It should be dropping. Like you're getting fresh. Like you're getting ready to crush people. And so it's just like CTL's fitness is very misleading. And um, there's a a podcast. I need to get this guy back on that I did with Cody Stevenson from Training Peaks. And he's very much like got like if people go and listen to that, just to hear someone from there that is super smart of just how over obsessed everyone is with these metrics. Um, ask yourself, how do you feel? You know, oh, how yeah. do you feel? It's super important. And yeah. My CTL was at 104 one time, and that was the highest it had been for me. But I felt so weak and overtrained at the time. It was yeah. really high, but if I I was just holding it together. Less is more a lot of times. It was in that know? case. It's like, a, even if I'm like, how does somebody talk to me, how you feel? They're like, I think I could do one more. I'm like, cool, yeah, we don't need to do that then. Because you're like on, you're convincing yourself that you should do more. Yeah. And when you feel good, when things start to click, that's when we pour more on. And that's when the problem happens. You know, we get to a really good point. It's like, we get a little greedy. Um, yeah. That is why I have a coach. Because otherwise, I'm just the same as everybody else. Like, I just want, let's get faster. Let's get, do one more session, one more workout, one more before this race. And then I can ride. It's just like, dude. That's all I need is that one more that's workout. all I need is that's one right. more. <laughs> let's talk real quick about um, some supplements also. I know that you mentioned Lactigo uh, a minute ago. Yeah. I've... I've done an episode of this podcast about, about beta alanine. Mm. I tried using beta alanine after reading your article on Evoke about beta alanine, how it works. Um, I also have tried Lactigo too, and I currently mm-hmm. use both. So what are the supplements? If you're giving a, a quick guide to the competitive cyclist, what supplements do they need to invest some money into so and which one should they leave alone? Definitely check out my blog. Yeah. Because <laughs> there will be codes in there you can use there's all the details on it that we won't be able to get in uh, as so granular mm-hmm. so beta alanine game changer come huge in the weightlifting community huge in like pre-workout what's happening is the beta alanine has to connect with l-histidine to create mm-hmm. carnosine carnosine is the explosive power carnosine is like just a driver of us as humans uh usain bolt tons of carnosine as you get older we stop producing it there has never been a topical carnosine because they could not get the molecule over the skin this actually came from an italian pharmacy company that didn't know what they had on their hands when they understood how to pass certain molecules over the barrier um the guys from lactigo read my blog on beta alanine with patrick and 
started telling me about this and I was like, and the guy's like, just try it. You're going to PR, you're going to crush it. And I was like, big claims, dude. And he was like, trust me, try this. So I tried it. I did a two minute effort and I had, I was like, whoa, what, wait a minute. Like I went, I paced it and I could have gone harder. And I went back when you do a two minute max effort, you got one and you're, if you max it, you're done. I went back and went harder, set a lifetime PR. I think I can't remember now. It's been, it was back in the end of 2019 or 2018, uh, like a one minute, two minute, five minute. And then I started trying like 20 minute, like long stuff, Mm -hmm. dude, recovery. I use it all the time. It is changing sports. It's getting into the NHL. They actually had a guy that went to a combine. I had, I don't know if they call it a combine in the NHL, whatever it was. And he's older. He's mid thirties, late thirties, and was setting some records that he hadn't beat himself years before. Huh. They they had two drug tests come for him. And they were like, <laughs> "Dude, like they, you know, it's, it's the NHL. They all know each other." And he's like, "It's this stuff called lactigo, and it's carnosine." So, anyways, there's magnesium in it. Google my blog. You'll find it. Read about it. It has all the data on it. It is insane, and it is at the end of the day. There's other products that are like sodium bicarbonate that mm-hmm. are really messy that you put on. And that the whole point is the sodium bicarbonate is trying to soak up the hydrogen ion that gets that is a free molecule that gets into your bloodstream when the lactate uh, is produced. So when that byproduct goes in, that's the burn we feel, not lactic acid. Lactic acid gets used by the system, right. hopefully, if there's oxygen for energy. What Lactigo does is it stops it in the cells. So before it actually gets into your bloodstream, which is a major game changer. Won't beat that one to death. Um, I actually use Cordyceps, which is a mushroom mm-hmm. that is has been studied for a while. Um, it was actually very interesting when I interviewed Cyrus Monk. He was an uh, Australian U23 rider. He's very into science. And... He's not into a lot of supplements. I said, have you ever looked into cordyceps? He says, it's funny you say that. That's actually one of the ones I'm going to start recommending. So it's all about oxygen uptake and just everything from like VO2 max, FTP efforts. It does take a little bit of time to kick in. I want to say about six weeks for your body to like really have the right amounts of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not cheap. So you got to be want, willing to spend some money game changer. And then I buy it from a company called Real Mushrooms because then they have things like Reishi, which is really good for sleep okay. and Lion's Mane, which is good for cognition. Um, and then I think the only other thing, uh, I use some stuff from Hello Blue CBD. Um, every once in a while, I'll take like a CBD pill. Um, I think it's just really good to like help relax the body after mm-hmm. you've gone out and crushed it. And... What else is out there? I'm like looking in my cabinet. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I actually was recommended to here recently to start trying uh, HMB, and I know that stands for something that I can't remember what it is. Have you ever heard of that? I'll I'll do a show about it. I'll I'll do some research into the into the studies I that have been done. Heard about it? Okay. No, is it legal? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I hope so. <laughs> the other thing that I would use that's not a supplement is Aerofit. That has been. Okay. That was actually it. I talked about in uh, for racing at altitude. Uh, these guys, I started using that in the end of right before Tour of Southland that I did in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and I trained with it for about a month or maybe six weeks before, and had a ridiculous uh, time trial at stage seven. And 
your breathing, it is a game changer for VO2 max. I never feel like I'm out of breath. Like hmm. it is mind boggling to me. Um, there's other people that have said that have made a comment to me. Like it's, if you practice nasal breathing and it's called, um, can't remember. It's like a long name. It's like a yoga pose name, like hard to remember pranayama breathing maybe. Okay. But I want to, I want something that I can track it. And I like having the device because then it's like, it helps me do it. If I'm just like breathing, I don't like, it's almost like not having a power meter. Like I like having that thing to like help me know, have I improved? There's tests you can do to see if you're getting better at it. So that's huge. And mainly just to uh, the amount of oxygen you can absorb and then helping your chemoreceptors are the things when you hold your breath that tell you, Hey, you need to breathe when you really don't. It helps to alter those, which is okay. what guys like Wim Hof work on and all these crazy breath holder guys. So yeah, game changer. Um, What's that called? Again? It's called AeroFit. It's A-I-R-O-F-I-T. Okay. Again, I posted a blog about it just to talk more in detail, like what my experience was with it. And, um, you know, somebody was like, well, if, if this works, why doesn't everybody do it? Do you know why everybody doesn't do it? Because it's extra training. They okay. say you only have to do five minutes a day. I try to do 10 and everyone's gonna be like 10 minutes. That's easy. When you're doing the ride and you're doing the core and you're doing the aero fit and you have to work and you get this, like sometimes there's not 10 minutes. Yeah. So, but I really try and just get it done. I'm going to post the links to your blogs too in, the, in cool. the description of the show. So everybody can find the blogs and, uh, and also the, you know, your evoke coaching business too. And, you know, tell me about that. Cause that's, that was really the last thing I wanted to talk about too, was just, was just your, your coaching business evoke. Sure. Yeah. You guys do the free power file analysis, which is really handy. You did one for me a few years back mm-hmm. and, um, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's been a great two years or two and a half years. We started officially in 2019 um, I went full time with it, left medical device world and had just been super burnt out from that after 13 years and had really, you know, I just felt like there was a lot of topics not being talked about and a lot of options that weren't great. And so I had said to Patrick, like, but how do we, how does this become like a real business where I could like, you know, make a living doing it. And if mm-hmm. he wanted to, he was still doing the French horn thing. And I just kind of started thinking like, okay, I got to understand SEO. I need to make some blogs. I need to put the content out there. How do I distribute it? And da, 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 da. And so really just the, it's going to sound corny to say, but like if I try to help people get faster, I'm pretty sure we'll attract the right people to grow a business around it. And so Gary V is a huge inspiration to me, huge social media guy. And his big thing is like, Go and help people. Go in forums. You know, post things on Instagram. I, we, the number of people that are like, why don't you charge for this or that, mm-hmm. or why don't you make exclusive con- like the podcast people like because it's short and to the point. Some people are like you should have like subscribe. I want to, I want a lot of free stuff. I want people to get faster because they're going to be happier. So many people have helped me along the way. This feels really good to get in, and it's crazy that like. I'll wake up and there will be somebody from like Russia has emailed me or like we have athletes in Europe now. And it's, you know, that's been an amazing experience because they have way different types of races than we have here. They do crazy climbing and like, so just seeing a different pool of people. But anyways, 
you know, there's over, I think it's over a hundred athletes now. There's five coaches. Um, it's really nice. We have, every coach is a little bit different and has different strong suits. And really the goal is to create a community where, you know, athletes, whether they're trying to do a grand Fondo or they're going for a national championship, like we've been in all those shoes. Mm -hmm. And a guy said to me is like, I think you guys are being successful because you're not just like these world tour athletes that were really good. And now coaching you're out there like with us trying to win these races and, you know, we're always trying to get better at what we're doing. So you know, we're, we're having a really good time doing it. Um, I'm super thankful that it's been as successful as it has been so far. And I just can't wait to see where it goes. I, I don't know where it's going, but I just, it continually grows. And we're just the people like the people in the chat. It's really solid group of human beings. And uh, I learn a ton from them. I'm glad they're learning some things from me. But, you know, when you said, hey, you're racing for evoke bike your team it's really not my team like Mm -hmm. i really this is definitely our squad we are starting a community team where i don't care what category you are buy a kit and let's be at the same race we may not be in the same race but we are there as a team yeah and um so it almost it maybe is more of a club and maybe i'm getting older but like i was always more into like okay i want to race with cat ones this is what i want to do but it gets tough to manage. There's there's a lot of responsibility in getting bikes and all this other stuff. And I'm really more focused on just trying to help people get faster. And, uh, you know, the guy that I gave a shout out to, Mike Minerva and this guy Josh and all these other people, like they helped me 13 years ago. And I'm still saying thank you. And I still see my first coach, Jason. And like, you know, I owe the world to those guys. So if we can put out some stuff and people are like, sure. yo, those dudes, are, they're not bad. Like everyone's not going to agree with everything we say, but all we want to do is try and help you get a little bit faster and put a little energy into that. And we're not martyrs. Like I love, I like do, I've always blogged. I've always been into that. So it's not like, Oh man, I'm being so great to help you out. Like <laughs> I enjoy that. I'm getting an enjoyment out of that. But, um, that's kind of the premise of like what we're doing. It's well, that's, I think that's awesome. And, and, you know, I think that that's one thing when I first found your coaching business, I was surprised by the amount of free material that was out there. I was surprised by the power file analysis. When you sent me the video back, that was, a, <laughs> the, you know, the screenshot of your computer with all of my that stuff. People away. Yeah, I was yeah. like, man, this is, this is a real production. This I'm like, I'm going to get a bill for this later. I know, you know, but like, <laughs> But it, it was, I was so shocked that, that you were willing to take that time to make a 10 minute video and to take the time to look at my numbers. So here, do you know what that comes from? Not to cut you off no, you're is that in medical device sales, I realized the best way for me to grow my business was to be in the operating room, trying to help a surgeon when I wasn't getting paid and okay. people would be like, nurses aren't dumb. They know who's getting paid. They know, they're like, and somebody once said, dude, we're not opening any of your boxes. Why are you here? I said, oh, well, I was talking to this guy. I just want to learn what he does. I want to understand his procedure. And that was the best tip that a guy told me. And I feel like some of the best work that you will ever do for your career is mm-hmm. the free stuff. And most people will not do that. If they aren't getting paid, yeah, they don't want to be there. And so all the coaches, and I said this on another podcast, like, you know, the guys that are – that are on the evoke 
coaching staff, when they, for all of them had reached out to me mm-hmm. and different ways that they were like, y'all like what you guys are doing. I want to be a part of this, da, da, da. And I have always been like, Hey, FYI, there's some free work involved and you have to be cool with that because <laughs> so Josh is a mountain biker, a cross racer. Like he kind of does it all. If somebody comes in and they're a mountain biker, I'm going to have him do their power file analysis now because he's better suited than I am. Somebody doesn't need to, I don't fake that with people. I don't mountain bike. Like yeah. I can, I can make you faster on a mountain bike, but it's just so much better to have a coach that mountain bikes now with us. And everybody is usually blown away. They're like, I can't believe you did this, but it is, man, the number of people are like, this is more feedback that I've gotten than I get from the guy I pay. (laughs) And I know you said that, (laughs) trust me, you're not the only one. And that is not to knock another coach, but coaches that are collecting a paycheck and not doing their job, that sucks. You're ripping people off and that's not cool. And I want us to all go to sleep being like, not only did we not rip people off, but dude, we just helped this person. The only thing that pisses me off is when people ghost me afterwards. Oh yeah, like, dude, just... I just spend an hour, and you you don't say thank you. You don't. You just disappear. There's been maybe five people that have done that, and I just it blows my mind. <laughs> like literally blows my mind that somebody would do that to us. But you know, there's those types of humans out there. But it's. That feels good. Like, and again, you know, and someone like, oh, we were doing this to attract athletes or whatever. Like, yeah, sure. It's, we want to show you that we are the real deal. Like we care about understanding you before we even take money from you. Right. But, and we're not the cheapest coaching option either. Like that's no doubt, but Mm -hmm. that's because we're all doing this full time. Like we're making a living doing this. So like all we're thinking about is you and your race. I have like dreams about it. Like I wake up, I'm like, we got to do that. Like, why haven't we tried this yet? And they're like, what are you doing? Emailing me at five in the morning. I'm like, dude, I was thinking about this. Da, da, da. And so, you know, I just think it's important to be super engaged with the person. And so, and lastly, sorry to be verbose on this, but like people will ask for a tip. And sometimes it's just like, do you know what would be way easier? Instead of me asking you in 50 emails, what are your goals? What are you good at? What are you bad at? What's this? What have you been doing? I'm like, you know what? Let's just do a power. I usually offer to people, like, can we just do this? Because they're like, I don't want to take your time. Like, you're going to take my time (laughs) because I can't give you an answer without knowing where you've been and where you're trying to go. So it's like, what Christina needs, Becky might be the totally opposite boat. How can I tell you that in three emails? Like, let me get in there and then we'll do it. So, and it's, you know, it's awesome having Alex is a huge Zwift racer. He's over in Europe, so he's got a ton of, you know, knowledge in that. Patrick's doing the Zwift, all the road racing, Craig road racing, and all the master stuff, and now Josh with the cross and the mountain biking. I feel like there's really somebody that can tap into a lot of different things. We need a track coach, so. Any track coaches, contact Brendan. There we go. (laughs) I think that was the thing that shocked me, too, was how much time you invested in, and, you know, it's – doesn't take an incredible amount of time to do a power file analysis, but it was like, I'm not paying. They have taken an interest in my cycling and, and getting me better. And so that, that made an impact with me. And if anybody's looking for a coach that's listening to this show, I highly recommend to follow up with evoke and, and check Thanks, you guys man. out. Yeah. Cause like I said, my yeah, experience evoke, was great. Evoke.bike is the website. People are like, so wait, what's the website? Like, that's why we named it that it's evoke.bike. Yeah, it's the yeah. easiest website to remember. I had but to check it. Never, 
Yeah, EVOQ is, um, we wanted something a little bit different, but evoke.bike. And you can go to the blog. I would highly recommend checking out some articles. Definitely. Look us up on YouTube. Please subscribe. My sister's knitting podcast is going to beat us with subs. <laughs> and I'm like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> hey, well, before you go, tell me real quick. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it or not when people tag you in the, uh, if you ride, you note? Know, posts on uh, instagram oh yeah i love that i love that it's uh hashtag i if you ride you know just the yeah. first letter of each i y k y r is that what it, if i y r y k yeah if you ride you know yeah i'm trying to find some roads around here that beat the ones in uh, north carolina but so far no go dude you gotta work on it man is yeah. the last one i was nice and i'm people <laughs> so everybody thinks that I'm a very blunt person and I think that's good for, oh, yeah. I think it's good for coaching. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, well, some people might disagree. I don't try to be rude, but I'm very like forefront with how I feel. I want somebody to understand, like, I just want to be able to have a good dialogue with somebody, but same thing, like social media, somebody posts <laughs> up like a busted ass road. I'm not giving you a seven. That thing is a three and you're getting a, maybe I'll give you 3.6. I'll find some bonus. Yeah. In but it's got to be, you know, somebody self-tagged a 10. And I was like, man, the 10 is going to be like the Stelvio or, you know, some Jared Gruber stuff. There's some really good roads out here. Um, but yeah. It was me that self-tagged with 10. It's, you didn't self-tag? <laughs> it was me. <laughs> I was like, bro, it was come me. on, man. You can't yeah, self-tag. I think in I got, middle I got Tennessee, points, get out of here. Or points East deducted. Tennessee. Uh, uh, middle Tennessee. Middle? Okay. Yeah, but I got I got points deducted for uh, cockiness and uh, overscoring myself. So yes. I think I ended I, up with I a five point two. I think I gave you a five point six if I remember. Yeah, correctly. yeah. So, somebody was like, you were like, I think Brady was like, damn dude, that was kind of harsh. I was like, yo, I know this guy, but I had to, whether I knew him or not, I had to come with it. I showed my wife and I was laughing. I was like, man, Brendan gave me like a five point two or it was a five point something on this, and uh, we were both <laughs> laughing at it, but. I knew it's all, that you. Uh, I knew we were still friends. Yeah, so. It's all in fun, man. Yeah, for sure. No, I like That's those. Fun. Tag those. Uh, I love seeing good roads. I actually Grand Fondo Nationals just posted this road in. Um, I want to say maybe Maryland, and I just made a comment. I was like, "Wow, love that road!" And he was like, "Can we get a rating?" And I was like, 8.3. That road is amazing." I was That's really funny. pumped that they asked me for that. Yeah. And become a thing, a worldwide thing one day. The Brendan, Brendan Hausler oh, rating that system. That would be amazing. That would be That's funny because and and that if you ride, you know, came from. So I'm out in England uh, before I was going to be in Belgium for three months for school, actually for grad school, and okay. staying in an Airbnb. So this guy goes gets me at the airport. Wake up in the morning. I'm going for my ride. He's like, oh, cool bike. Da, da, da. Like he's not a cyclist. I go out, I'm on these rolling roads, dude, and they have these bricks that like these little brick walls and the, and the skies, I'm like, the endorphins are hitting and I'm like snapping these photos. I'm riding on the other side of the road. And so I get this message. I stopped somewhere and he's like, Hey man, just check in. How you doing? And I'm like, I'm amazing. Check out this road. And I send him a picture of a road. <laughs> he's like, cool. Later when we got to know each other, he's like, Hey, do you remember that first day when you sent me that picture? I get it now, but I literally texted my friend yo dude the guy who's staying in my airbnb just sent me a picture of a blank road should i be worried <laughs> i was like i never thought about that if you're not a cyclist that's you're funny. like uh are you on drugs right now like it's a that's road funny. so if you ride you know what the good roads are and you know that endorphin feeling i mean that's what that is all about so that is i 
I still talk to that guy. He lives in Australia now, but I'm just like, he went to his first bike race. He went to the tour of Britain with me and, uh, yeah, crazy experience, but that's probably what's next with uh, Evoke is I really want to hit up some of these European Grand Bondos next year and, okay. um, you know, just keep trying to, like, motivate, inspire people to get out there on the bike and go to an event and try something. And, you know, we all want to limit ourselves to what we can do. And if you really just put a little bit of effort in, you're going to surprise yourself at where you go, where you go with it. I mean, well – you know, I'm excited to to see you guys succeed. It's cool to see you guys win some races this year. Yes. I was super excited to see you win the nationals. When I saw your jersey, that orange jersey, I was like, Oh, that's Brendan. I saw the video yeah, of that, I... like cy- cycling tips posted. And I was like, That's Brendan. <laughs> and he just won that. So I was I was pumped for Thank you. Thank you so much, man. It was awesome. And and that was a, a very a likely response. People were like, Oh, dude, I think I actually didn't realize I was on cycling tips. Josh was texting me. He's like, okay, I know you got to go deal with your own social media stuff. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you follow crit drama? I'm like, no. He's like, what about cycling tips? I'm like, no. He's like, you might want to go check that. And I was like, oh man. That's funny. <laughs> and, that, and that's a teaser for anybody that wants to go find the, uh, go, the drama that's surrounded. Yeah. What's, what's the beef? And just go to our uh, YouTube page and look up the Masters Nationals video. I don't really go after it. It's just yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a, a misunderstanding and it's all good. So I'm no expert, but it was clean to me. It was it, it was it was a downhill on a curve at the finish, is that right? Yeah, and so I jump over you can't the video that he submitted was kind of grainy and when we're first coming down, we're going forty. You can't tell I that finishing sprint I was going forty six. So the downhill, it's a quick downhill as it's curving around and there's some broken pavement and I decided to jump over the pavement instead of driving my front you. wheel into it. And so, unfortunately, when you jump, you can't turn. And then I land the bike at 40. And it's like, whoa, I landed. Yeah. And then I sprint. And he's like, you went you deviate. I'm like, dude, I was hopping over a broken bit. Get out of here. Well, I think that, like I said, a curve right before the finish, downhill, 46 miles an hour. Watch. Yeah. There's a couple guys that were from Belgium that had sent me messages. Okay. And they were like, oh, this is adorable that this six-person sprint is causing this chaos. <laughs> like, have you, have you guys ever seen, like, a European road race finish where there's 40 guys galloping? Like, people are – bodies are everywhere. So, it's just uh, – yes. But, hey, it reminded me how much people actually do care about winning a Masters race. So That's true. Well, hey, you know what? You, you made the point that you, uh, you won it. Congrats. I think it's awesome. Going going back next year. So if it's there nice. next year, we'll be going back to Albuquerque. Interesting little town. Sweet. That's cool. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time, Brendan, to talk to me. And it's been a lot of fun. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, like I said, I'll post all the links for listeners. Sweet. And they can uh, they can find you, okay? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the training and hopefully a couple more races this year. <laughs>